19 this morning, Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. Glad you can make it out on a cold, rainy day. Hey, let's pray. Give this service over to the Lord then. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We're thankful for this time. And we just want to pray, Lord, that you would just bless the time here. Lord, I just think of the last words of that song that we sang. You know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into all truth, that we may learn of you. You may be glorified in everything that's said. Lord, that the saints could be equipped to go deeper in you and that your salvation is presented. And we just pray our hearts are open, Lord, to all that you have for store for us in your name. Amen. Continue our study here through the book of Proverbs. Now, please remember what Proverbs are. Proverbs are these short little truths usually carrying a positive and a negative, and it's supposed to teach you a heavenly truth, but an earthly perspective. And Proverbs is not deep on theology. Proverbs is not deep on end times. What Proverbs is deep on is understanding the wisdom of God and to go out there and live it. And we want the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of who God is. Wisdom is God's way of thinking. Knowledge is God's way of doing it, and understanding is God's way of putting it into practice. And you want all three. What's the point of knowing God's way of doing it, His wisdom, without the knowledge and understanding how to do it? What's the point of trying to put something into practice if you're not doing it God's way? Proverbs brings all these points together. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding through the fear of the Lord. And remember fear. We talked about it last week. Fear is not this cringing, trembling God. It is such an all reverence and respect for who God is that you stop and say, Lord, I want to serve you in every way possible. Not just talk about you. Not just go to church. Not just attend I want to come and say, Lord, I want everything you have for me. And then you understand the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of God. So Proverbs was that reminder, that practical of understanding of how to live it. So with that being said, what we like to do in Proverbs here is we find our verse, and then we find our key verse in the chapter, and then we build off that with the other verses. So we're going to be in Proverbs 19 and Proverbs 20 this morning. And our key verse is Proverbs 19, verse 25. Strike a scoffer. And the simple will become weary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. That's an interesting verse. And it kind of goes along with one in a little bit here. Take a look at Proverbs 21 verse 11. It says, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. So we're talking about this idea of a scoffer. Some of your translations may say a scorner. It may say a mocker. It's not a word that we normally use. I doubt that you have normally used that word in much conversation at work or at home that someone's being a scoffer or a scorner or a mocker. It's one of those Bible words that carries a deeper meaning. What is it? When you look up the word scoffer, what it literally means this is it's somebody who boasts, somebody who talks arrogantly, they like to mock things, and they have a very inflated view of themselves. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about what a scoffer is, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down back in October 7th. Of 2018, October 7th, 2018, when we were going through Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9, that we spent a whole Sunday on talking about what a scoffer is. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but if you want to go back and get that message, you can listen to that online or grab a CD of it. But what does it look like in practical, everyday words? This is a scoffer. They know everything. They have an opinion on everything, and they're willing to share it. They can't be wrong. It does even cross their mind that they could possibly be wrong, And they are the smartest person in the room. They know they're the smartest person in the room. And so this idea that there's not even a way, possibly, maybe, they could be wrong. Not in any way whatsoever. 
The key thing about a scoffer is this idea of pride. There's such a pride in them that they can't even see it from a different person's perspective. Now, here's the difficult thing about a scoffer. Some of you may work with a scoffer, and you have to put up this for eight, nine, ten hours a shift, this difficult person. Some of you live with a scoffer. Some of you are married to a scoffer. Here's the hard thing about a scoffer. Most of the time, they don't realize that they are one. There is such an arrogance and pride in them that they don't even see it from that perspective. Let me just go through the practical definition of them again. They know everything. They have an opinion on everything. They're the ones that sit on the couch while watching the football game, and they know exactly the play that should have been called. They're the ones that sit there and say, you know what, the boss has no idea how to run this company. I know how to do it. They're the ones that sit there and they know everything on how to run the business. They know how to run the church. They know how to run the ministries. They know how to run everything. They know it all, and they have that opinion, and they're willing to share it. They're the ones that have never set foot in the White House, but they know exactly how the country should be. That's the scoffer. And they can never be wrong. It doesn't cross their mind. Take a look at Proverbs 21. Look at verse 24. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. Look at the theme there in verse 24. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. That's the key, guys, is that idea of pride. That pride keeps them from seeing it from any other perspective, especially God's perspective. And it never crosses their mind that they could be wrong. Here's the reality. There's scoffers in this room right now. And you don't even realize it. Because it never crosses your mind. They've never lost an argument because they've never been wrong. They've never had to apologize for anything because they've never been wrong. It's a difficult personality to work with. It's a difficult personality to be around. It's a difficult personality to be remarried to. And I'm not making that as a joke. If you are married to a person with that personality, it is hard. And so what the Bible is teaching us on today is how do we deal with this? Because the truth is, the Bible says... You can't really train them or correct them. Rewind here with me to Proverbs chapter 9, please. Let's rewind ourselves to the first verses where we talked about the idea of what a scoffer is. And then we're going to get into some application with this. Proverbs 9. Look at verse 7 with me. This is what we started our message on being a scoffer, a scorner, or a mocker back in October of last year. It says in Proverbs 9, look at verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. If anybody's ever worked with somebody with this personality, if anybody's ever lived with someone with this personality, you know exactly what verses 7 and 8 are saying. You go to correct them and you're the one that walks away harmed and hurt. You go to try to correct them in verse 8, and they end up hating you more. You try to go tell them that they're wrong, and you're trying to do it in love. You're trying to do it in gentleness. You're trying to do it spirit-led, and it just blows up in front of you. And so you walk away defeated. You walk away whipped. You walked away saying, why does this person hate me when I'm trying to help them? They are so full of pride. They are so full of arrogance. They are so full of being a scoffer that doesn't cross their mind that they're wrong. And God says, I can't work with these people. You've heard me say this many times out here before. God can work with almost anything. The Bible says God can work with liars. He can work with murderers. He can work with adulterers. He can work with thieves. The one sin that God does not work with is pride. Because when you have pride, you're stopping and saying, God, it's all about me. I don't even see you as being God, this this omnipotent, omnipresent being that's omniscient. I don't even see that. I see you as 
just God and I'm pretty close to being up there with you. It's a difficult personality that needs to be broken. If you work with one, I'm telling you right now, before you're going to work, get prayed up. If you live with one, I'm telling you right now, get prayed up, get fasted up for this. And don't waste your time and energy trying to argue them into a different opinion. It doesn't work. It only changes when the Lord gets a hold of their heart and that pride can be broken. So now with that understanding, jump back to Proverbs 19 to our verse here for the day as we're going through verse by verse through Proverbs. So if we just said they can't be corrected, they just get more angry, you get more shamed, you get more hurt. Why does it tell us in Proverbs 19.25, strike a scoffer and the simple will become weary. Rebuke one who is understanding and he'll discern knowledge. If they can't be corrected, why are you telling me in verse 25? Now some of you may say, James, I take a literal interpretation of the Bible, so I'm not supposed to correct them, I'm supposed to strike them, verse 25. Nope, don't take that too far there, folks. I don't want to go visit you in CCNO, okay? Here's the deal. The point is this. Why are you correcting the scoffer if they're not going to listen? Because there's three people mentioned in 25. The scoffer, the simple, and the one who is understanding. The reason you correct the scoffer is so the simple see it. Please note that. You're correcting the scoffer so the simple see it and they change. Take a look once again at Proverbs 21.11. Very similar verse. When the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. Here's, here's the deal. I, I have dealt with scoffers for the 20 years that I've been out here. They only change when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and they want to change. I used to think, you know what? I'm just going to love them. Because this is the, the Bible says... It's the goodness of God. Let your gentleness be known to all men. I'm going to take them out to eat. I'm going to spend time with them. And I'm just going to talk to them. And they probably have just never felt real love before. Yeah, that didn't work. It was a 45-minute meal of, once again, how they're right and everybody else is wrong. So then I decided this. I know the Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And I'm not saying you're wrong, God. But maybe we need to bully the bully. That doesn't work either, folks. I've come to the conclusion that when someone has a personality like this, you just got to pray. Let their eyes be open and let their heart be changed. So why would we even try to do anything? Because back to 25, there's a big segment of people that are called the simple. Now, this does not mean that they're not mentally smart. That's not what it's saying. It means that they're just not biblically smart in the sense of living out the life. And what happens is there's these simple people that have to make a choice in life. Am I going to, according to 25, become one who has understanding with wisdom, or am I going to become the scoffer? And so what happens is they see the scoffer intimidating people, bullying people, getting what they want because no one wants to deal with the scoffer. So the simple says, I'm going to become like that personality because people will fear me. People will respect me. And the Bible says, careful. That's why you correct the scoffer. It's so that way everybody else stops and sees and says, no, we're not going to put up with this. Even though I know it's not going to change them, we still do it because there's a whole group of people watching. And they need to know truth. And that's why we correct them. Now, will they hear it? Probably not. But guess what? The simple that are watching will. That's why the boss has to go to that scoffer at work and to be quite honest, say, we're not putting up with this. Well, they're not going to change him. I know they're not going to change him. But everybody else on that line is going to see we don't put up with it. That's why it's so important to do this. This is the discipline of God. That God says, I love you so much, I'm going to come in and 
correct you. Take a look at Proverbs 19, look at verse 29. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and the beatings for the backs of fools. God says, I love you enough to correct you. I love you enough to set you in the right path. And so therefore, you may not learn to listen to it, you may not want to listen to it, but I love you enough that I'm going to do it. Go with me to Hebrews now, please. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's talk about discipline. Let's talk about judgment. Let's talk about the goodness of discipline and judgment. When God is trying to get your attention, and He's going to discipline you, it doesn't seem very fun at the moment. Do you realize how much love that is? That the creator of the universe has stopped of the 7 billion people in this world. He looks at you and says, I love you enough to correct you. We have to realize that. That that is love. Take a look here at Hebrews chapter 12. Start in verse 5 with me. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. God loves you enough to discipline you. When you're doing something that's not right and you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, that little voice that's telling you this isn't right, that's love. And then when you do something you shouldn't have done and now you feel this guilt, this shame, that's the voice telling you come back to the Lord and get made right. That's love. Love disciplines. Love corrects. But God only disciplines His own children. If you're not a follower of the Lord, He's not going to discipline you. You're not His. How many of us have ever walked through Walmart... And I've seen many kids that were not our own that we wanted to discipline. You don't. They're not yours. Once again, I'm back to visiting you at CCNO. Don't. You discipline your children. You may want to discipline everybody else's, but you don't. Because you know I'm not responsible for them. I'm not their parental figure. I'm responsible to discipline those that are my own. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you're born again, you are a child of God. God disciplines you out of love. If you're not disciplined by the Lord, you're not his child. Guys, that's a very serious thing. To say that the Lord says, you're not mine. What does that mean? He doesn't love me? No, he loves you. But you've never made him your father. You have to choose to have the relationship with him. See, look at verse 7. If you endure chastening, discipline... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If there is not discipline going on, you need to chop and check and see, who's my dad? Nine. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of holiness. Don't skip over these words. Jump back to verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation, the encouragement. Take a look here at verse 10. He for our profit. When we are disciplined, it is for our profit. God says, I love you enough to say, I can't let you go down this path. I can't look at my boys at home and watch them do sin and say, guys, I love you so much I can't correct you. That doesn't make any sense. But that's the world we live in, folks. We live in this world where it's, it's, if you really loved him, why are you doing this? Why are you correcting? Because I love you enough to correct you. And I would hope that if I'm ever going down a path of wrong, that you guys would love me enough to correct me. 
I'll give you a quick story about being corrected here and discipline not being fun, but it's profitable. Remember the story? This has happened probably about five years ago. I told you to you guys a few years ago, the time that I stole fuel. You remember that story? It was at one of the gas stations in Deschler. Somebody from the church was working there at the time, and they called me up. And they said, hey, Pastor James. And I said, hey. And I thought it was about a church event. They stopped and said, no. They said, um, we, we have you uh, driving off without paying for fuel. I said, I drove off without paying for fuel? And they said, yeah. We, we I said, I, I know I put the credit card in. And they said, well, I don't know what happened, but you need to come up here and, and pay for this. Will do. I thought the thing was kind of funny. I did. Um, didn't realize the seriousness of it. So I go up there, and the person that called me wasn't working with somebody else. So I walk in and said, hey, I heard I stole some fuel. They didn't laugh. Um, they had a picture, and it was a picture of me. And it was a really nice picture of me. I actually looked really nice. And I said, that's a nice picture. Didn't laugh. I have my Harvest Fellowship shirt on. And here I am, leaving, smiling, love of Jesus, stealing fuel. They could have called the cops. They didn't. They could have done a whole lot. They didn't. I was chastened. I was corrected. And I learned. Every time now I go get fuel from any place, you know what I hit now? Would you like a receipt? You bet I would. (laughs) If I don't... Listen, folks. That's just a funny little thing. But the truth is, some of you have been hit pretty hard in life. Do you realize that that could have been the love of God trying to get your attention? God's saying, listen, guys. It's not worth it. Let me discipline you now to get your attention for your profit. Take a look at verse 11. Now, no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. I'm off track here, Lord. And God says, I know, and I'm going to love you enough to get you back on track. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But what happens if you haven't been trained by it? What happens if you keep repeating the same things again and again and again, and God has to keep disciplining you again and again and again? If that's the case, folks, you may be a scoffer. If you're going down the same path again and again and again, do you ever think maybe, possibly, it's you? Do you know that person that's constantly changing jobs? Because every job they've ever had, the boss is just awful. Every job. Every job they've ever had, the co-workers are just so difficult. And they always have to change jobs. They always have to change locations. They always have to change this. They always have to change that. But here's the problem. Anytime you change something, change a location does not mean change a heart. Anytime you move, you take you with you. And I'm just asking. I'm not saying this to be mean. Maybe you need to really stop and say, maybe the issue is me. Because I've run into people. It's like, I don't know why this always happens to me. What always happens? I always get these type of co-workers. I always get these type of bosses. I always get these type of people I have to work with. Always get these people I have to serve with. Maybe God's trying to get your attention that maybe there's something that needs to be worked with in you. You've heard me say many times before, I firmly believe that God will always bring somebody into my life that I deem almost unlovable. For God to say, James, can you love the unlovables? And once I learn to love them, he says, great. Now here's the next one. And then what happens is as time goes on, I look at the person that I couldn't love 20 years ago, and now it's like, what did I ever see in them that was an issue? The Lord keeps helping us love the unlovable. And being a scoffer is difficult, and I just want to keep encouraging you, and I'm saying this in love. You may not receive it, because it just, Proverbs 9. Maybe the issue may be more with you. 
And that's something that we have to stop and say, Lord, help me not to get so arrogant and prideful that I always think the problem is everybody else. Maybe the problem could be me. So let's get to here some practical things on what a, this looks like in everyday life. What does a scoffer do? Take a look at Proverbs 20, verse 3. It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Okay, so you're really good at winning arguments. Great, that makes you a fool. Scoffers never lose an argument. They always win. I've seen this so often in marriage counseling. The couple comes in and the one person is so happy they won the fight. What does it mean to win a fight in marriage? It means you lost the war. We've got to be careful here, folks. One of the things I tell my boys all the time if I hear them arguing, I always ask them, okay, are we arguing about anything eternal? Are we arguing about whether God's word is true, whether Jesus really lived, died on the cross for your sins? Are we arguing about something foolish? If we're arguing about something foolish, let it go. There's times you've got to put your foot down for theological matters, and I, and I stand by that. But there's a lot of things in life we just got to learn to let go. Look at three one more time, Proverbs 23. The most honorable thing you can do sometimes is stop the argument. It's to stop striving. Any fool can start a quarrel. So you're really good at winning arguments and quarreling. Great, you're a fool. Let it go. It's not about being right. What else do we see about a scoffer? Look at verse 6 of Proverbs 20. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? A scoffer always wants to talk about their own goodness. Some of your translations, their own loyalty. They just want to talk about how great they are. Once again, they are the smartest person in the room. They know how the business should be run. They know how the ministry should be run. They know how the plays should be called. They know how the government should be run. They got it all figured out. And they will proclaim their own goodness. And if you just give them five minutes, they could fix whatever problem you have as their world falls apart and they don't even realize it. If you want to proclaim something, you want to be prideful about something, you want to be boastful about something, this is where you go. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 9, please. Take a look at yourself. How often are we proclaiming our own goodness and faithfulness, our own loyalty, rather than the Lord? We only want to talk about us and how great we are and how great we're doing. Take a look here at Jeremiah chapter 9. I tell you, I highly encourage you here, adults, never get away from scriptural memorization. That's something we seem to think for little kids. As adults, memorize scriptures just like you would if you were eight years old. And if you memorize the scripture, go buy yourself a candy bar just like you would for your eight-year-old, okay? And if you're looking for a great verse to memorize, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Take a look at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You want to be prideful, boastful, glorying in something? That you know Jesus Christ. That you know God and you know 24 that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. If you want to talk about something, talk about the Lord. Talk about 24, his loving kindness, his righteousness, his justice. God says, that's what I delight in. How much time do we spend talking about us when the creator of the universe, who died for us, loves us, rose again, and I'd rather talk about something meaningless? No, I want to talk about him. 
I want my words to be about him. Back to Proverbs 20. What else do you see the scoffer doing? Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say I've made my heart clean? I'm pure from sin. The scoffer can. Because they, they don't do anything wrong. And, and if they've done something wrong, it's never their fault. Have you ever noticed that? Now listen, I know I lost my temper. But, but if you wouldn't have pushed me, I wouldn't have lost my temper. You know, I know I said those words I shouldn't have said. But you know what? If, if they wouldn't have egged me on like that, if they weren't driving that way, I wouldn't have said those things. Do you realize the scoffer always gets the worst cashier? The scoffer always gets the worst waitress. The scoffer always gets the worst everything. They are always right. And so what happens is, I have made my heart clean. I'm pure from sin. I don't do anything wrong. That's a dangerous spot to be. To stop and say, I don't do anything wrong. Build on this for a second. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Have you ever met somebody who honestly thinks they've never done anything wrong? I've met two people in the uh, 25 years I've been saved that claim they've never sinned. And I remember talking to one distinctly on the phone. And the subject of sin came up and just, we're sinners and God still loves us even though we're sinners. We do things wrong and He still loves us and He wants to make things right. And I remember him saying, you know, I, I really don't think I, I do anything. And I kind of misunderstood him. I thought he meant he's in a good season of ministry, what have you. No, he, he really thought he didn't do anything wrong. And I said, you've never done anything wrong. And he was kind of silent for a little bit. He goes, not that I can think of. I said, you've never sinned. Not that, no, I know I never have. And I said, at that time, you tried to talk it through to him, explain it to him. You realize they can't even see their own sin. I can't imagine living in a world that you're just so right. It never crosses your mind that you could be wrong. Take a look at 1 John. Chapter 1. Start in verse 5 with me. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, no darkness. Okay, makes sense. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If I say that I'm a follower of God, but yet my life is a life of darkness, I'm lying. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's basically the salvation message right there. God is light. He is holy. He is perfect. He's everything. He lives in heaven. He wants us to live with Him. He's created us because He loves us. He created us so we could glorify Him. My sin, what I do wrong, separates me from God. And so what happens is, since I have done wrong, somebody needs to pay for my sin. I mean, like, once again, back to my analogy of paying for the fuel. Somebody has to pay for my fuel. I can't just do it for free. I have sinned. Someone needs to pay the price for what I've done wrong. So there, verse 7, Jesus Christ, who was God but yet man, came down and said, I will pay the price for James's sin. I will live a life as a man, but yet sinless and perfect. And then when I die, my death will cover his death and give me access to heaven. But here's the problem with this, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't, I don't really need this Jesus. Jump ahead to 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Two things are happening. Verse 8, either I'm deceiving myself by saying I haven't done anything wrong when I have. Or verse 10, I am saying God's a liar. I really don't need a savior. 
It's really dangerous places to be, folks, because take a look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, please remember what confess means, to agree with. If I agree that I have done wrong, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? We're going to celebrate Resurrection Week here. We're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday and week from today. It's the greatest day of the year. We celebrate the idea that I was destined to hell and punishment. And Jesus said, no, I'll take you into heaven. Believe in me, accept in me. Get forgiveness for your sins. That's the most amazing day of the year. And that's why we get together. That's why we're going to celebrate that. But to stop and think that we haven't done anything wrong... That's a dangerous thing. One more here. Jump back to Proverbs 20, please. What else does the scoffer do? Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. The scoffer is always looking at revenge. Always been wronged. They've always been mistreated. And they need to stand up for themselves. They're not going to get walked on anymore. No way. They're not going to get pushed around. They're always looking out for themselves, even though God says, vengeance is mine. God says, I'll I'll take care of the judging. You don't judge. I'll do it. But the scoffer says, you're not doing it quick enough, Lord. You're not doing it good enough, Lord. I need to take it on my shoulders and make sure that the evil of this world is judged by my own judgment and my own opinion. They always have an opinion on everything. They have an opinion that they're willing to share. They can't be wrong. They're the smartest person in the room, and they know everything. It's a dangerous spot to be. See, here's our final points with this. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. It comes back to pride again. Pride is one of the most deceptive sins in the world. I know when I've stolen something. Well, unless I take fuel. I know most of the time when I've stolen something. I know when I've had anger towards someone. I know when my mind has wandered towards inappropriate thoughts. But pride. Pride is so deceptive because pride makes it seem like you haven't done anything wrong. And it goes back to our verses here. Most men will proclaim their own goodness. God says, let me tell you about your goodness. Romans 3. Take a look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand There's none who seek after God. There isn't anybody trying to do it right. You may say, oh, no, that's not true. We're we're trying to figure out more about the Lord. Yeah, but not His way. We're doing it our way. We have our own little religious way and system we've set up, and God says, you need to do it my way. There's a lot of people in this world seeking after God their own way, but not doing it God's way. So therefore, the Lord is trying to tell us in Romans 3.23, jump ahead just a few verses, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we've got to start. None of us are perfect. God is holy and perfect, and I am not. And God does love me. He wants to be with me. And so therefore, this holy, perfect God says this, James, you can't do this on your own. And so since you can't do this on your own, I'll actually fix the problem for you. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll give you the free gift of eternal life. Paul uses a term in Romans called reckon. And it doesn't mean Paul's from the south. What it means is this idea that it's actually an accounting term. I mean, imagine owing a debt you can't pay. And then someone comes and says, I'll pay it for you. 
And I will move my money into your empty bank account. That, that's what that word reckon means. I, I am not righteous. Righteous is just a fancy word that means to be made right. I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. I, I, I've done wrong. Someone has to pay the price for these wrong things I've done. I can never do enough good to make up for my bad. So then Jesus comes and says, James, I will pay your account for you. I will move my righteousness, which just means to be made right, into your lack of righteousness. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that knew no sin became sin for us, so that way he would be our righteousness. That's the righteousness. And so since God has done that for me, now, last verse, look at Romans 5, verse 8. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. The holy, perfect, all-powerful God, who demands holiness, looked down at me that was a mess I have lied, I have cheated, I've stolen, my mind is... I've done all these wrong things. And he says, I still want him. And I say, I want to be wanted, Lord, but I I can never do enough good. He goes, I know. Jesus will live the life for you. He'll live the perfect life for you. He'll take the punishment that you deserve. And he will move his righteousness, you being right, into your account. And therefore, you can pay the bill through the blood of Jesus. Sacrifice. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday here in a week. It's because this is the most amazing news. See, here's the deal. It's called the gospel, which means the good news. But you can't have the good news without the bad news. And the bad news is, sometimes I'm a scoffer, and I walk in pride, and I walk in arrogance, and I walk in sin. And I'm so thankful that Christ forgives us. And that's what I want you to focus on this week. This is what we're building up to here. In our, in our first time of prayer, worship, and communion with Gavin and Bethany, we'll be leading the worship part of it, and we'll be back there doing the prayer and the communion this coming Saturday, 10 o'clock out here at church. And I encourage you, if you feel led, it's a great morning to fast. Just to fast and say, Lord, I want to know more of you. I want to go deeper in you. And then the next Monday, uh, the uh, 20th at night there, I think it is, it's all in the back of your bulletin. We'll start them up on Mondays again. I encourage you to prayerfully come out to it. Let this be a season of saying, Lord, I want more of you. I want to know more of you. I'm going to go deeper in you. Because here's the deal, folks. We can come out here and talk about it. We can mark the verses. We can say, that was neat. Yep, I want to be right with God. Or we can stop and say, Lord, today is the day for this. And I want to be right with you in all ways and all things. There is a God. And I want to serve Him. And I want to love Him. And I don't want to be the man walking in pride that says, I don't need this. It's a dangerous place to be. Worship team, if we can come forward here for the final song.